All right. Well, maybe you're wondering what in the world is this throne up here for? It's because I'm a little tired and want to sit and teach this morning. But no, we're going to, uh, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Daniel chapter 4? And as you're making your way to Daniel chapter 4, we're going to learn about uh, a unique topic this morning, the topic of God's sovereignty and our pride. And I know some of us in here, maybe, maybe you're thinking like, I ain't got no pride. I'm the humblest person you've ever met. Well, thankfully, it's the Word of God that's going to address us this morning. And we're going to see as we go through our text that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and we've, he's, a, he's, he's a household name by now, but King Nebuchadnezzar was powerful, he was mighty, he was wealthy, he was a conqueror, and he was feared by many. Nebuchadnezzar had it all. Nebuchadnezzar had what you and I would call today someone who has a God complex, someone who is a narcissist. That's King Nebuchadnezzar. But you know the root of both of those personalities is that little word, pride. And you know what's unique about pride? Every one of us deal with it. I deal with pride. You deal with pride. We're going to see today that despite our pride, God is still sovereign. Now, when we say God is sovereign, what do we mean by that? Well, if you look at the screen with me, sovereignty of God simply is this. God has complete power and full authority to do anything he pleases. So what does that mean? Well, figuratively and literally for that matter, God is where? On the throne. But what does pride seek to do? Pride seeks to be on the throne. So we're going we're gonna to see how God addresses the pride of our life in light of his sovereignty. We're going to learn four truths to the sovereignty of God and our pride. Look with me, if you would, please. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. As we begin this, we're going to read the first three verses. It, it's unique here because... We're going, this is really, the first three verses is really Daniel's conclusion to what he is about to share with us. So understand, we're, we're reading Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar's conclusion with what he's about to go through. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. Sounds good so far. It is my pleasure to tell you the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. That does not sound like the Nebuchadnezzar of chapters 1, 2, and 3. But that is the same Nebuchadnezzar. The difference between the Nebuchadnezzar of chapter 4 and the previous, Nebuchadnezzar had an in-your-face encounter with our sovereign God. His life is changed. Many Bible commentators believe that from the end of chapter 3 to the beginning of chapter 4, 
some 30 years have gone by. So to recap for us, chapter 3, that happened, let's say, 30 years ago. Nebuchadnezzar had that fiery furnace, right? And he called peoples from all the nations to come gather and worship his image of gold. And remember those three rebels? Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? And they said, King, no way will we bow down to your image of gold. And the king threatened to throw them in the furnace. And they said, we are confident that our God will save us. So Nebuchadnezzar had the furnace heated up more times than normal. He were thrown in. And you remember what happened? Nebuchadnezzar sitting on his throne. What happened? He got up and he said, I thought we threw three men in the fire. But I see four and the fourth looks like the Son of God. That was some 30 years ago. And now here we are. Verse 4, Nebuchadnezzar is going to give us his testimony of how God radically changed his life. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, content and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be, be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and uh, Diviners came, I told them to dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. You know, it's interesting here. Remember, we're reading, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of sharing, remember, his testimony. So this, is his, this isn't who he is right now. This is who he was. And it's interesting when we look at his verbiage, right? He says that Daniel, um, the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And at the end of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar, remember what he said? He said, if anyone doesn't bow down and worship the god of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they will be cut into pieces. Listen, Nebuchadnezzar affirmed the reality of the God in heaven, but he refused to enter into a relationship with him. He had what many people have today, an acknowledgement of the reality of God at an arm's length relationship. I said, verse 9, Belshazzar, chief of the musicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. Interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous and the tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. And it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. He's describing our cafe, folks. <laughs> Under it, the wild animals found shelter. The birds lived in its branches, and from it, every creature was fed. Verse 13, in the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger, coming down from where? heaven. He called in a loud voice, 
Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But, verse 15, let the stump remain and its roots bound with iron and bronze stay in the ground in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the earth. And let his mind be changed from that of a man. And let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by. This is the decision. It is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict. So that the living may know the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Friends, our first truth this morning is simply this. In God's sovereignty, he allows interruptions to get our attention. God allows interruptions to get our attention. That is what he's doing with Nebuchadnezzar. If you look back with me, flip back to verse 4, and this kind of gives us some context of the condition or the state that Nebuchadnezzar was in. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was where? At home, in my palace, must be nice, contented, and what? Prosperous. What does that mean? It means that Nebuchadnezzar finally was living at a time for him of relative peace and tranquility. Looking back over the previous chapters, right, even beginning with chapter 1, what is Nebuchadnezzar doing? He is, con- he is at war. He is conquering Jerusalem. In chapter 2, he he's, has this other dream, and he's going to build this massive idol. Chapter 3, all the nations are coming to worship this idol. Nebuchadnezzar is too busy to hear the voice of God. But now, finally, he is at a place where he is still enough to hear God's voice. And it's not that God had not been pursuing him. God had been pursuing Nebuchadnezzar since chapter 1. Aren't you glad this morning God doesn't give up on you and I? That he still pursues us despite us? But the challenge that we're faced with is simply this. Are you too busy to hear the still small voice of our great big sovereign God? See, church, this is why a daily quiet time with the Lord is so important. See, our time with God just can't be something we do. It has to be what we do. It must be the priority. Because let's face it, who in here is busy? Okay, me and three others. The rest of you, I want to know your secrets. Okay? But no, we are busy. We need to learn to slow down, to hear the still, small voice of God. But God is willing to interrupt us. He's willing to interrupt our our relative peace and tranquility because he has a message. He's in the business of getting the attention 
of his creation. He did that with Adam and Eve in the garden. He did that with Noah. He did that with Abraham. He did that uh, with Jeremiah. He did that with King Saul, with King David. He did that with the Apostle Paul. God is willing to interrupt us to get our attention. He interrupted Nebuchadnezzar with this dream, right? And this dream, what? It terrified him. And while God was getting Nebuchadnezzar's attention with the dream, the application of the dream applies to every single one of us here today. It's for all humankind. Verse 17 tells us. If you write in your Bibles, verse 17 is underlinable, and it simply begins with, so that the living may know the Most High is sovereign. Let's keep that verse up there and talk about this for a moment. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream from God. And the purpose of this dream is absolutely for Nebuchadnezzar, right? But it extends beyond. What does it say? So that the who? The living. Well, that applies to hopefully every one of us in this room this morning. And what are the living? What are we to learn? We're to learn that the Most High is what? Sovereign. What does sovereign mean again? Complete authority, absolute power to do anything He pleases. What are we learning? We're going to learn who sits on the throne. Not us, but God so that the living may know. He gives the kingdoms of the earth to anyone he wishes. He sets them over the lowliest of people. Some of your translation says, whomever he pleases. But why this lesson? Why this dream? Because God knew what was in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. God knows what's in your heart, and he knows what's in my heart, and it's that dirty little word called what? Pride. So when we talk about the throne... We're not necessarily talking about a literal physical throne. We're talking about the throne of the heart. We're talking about who is on the throne of your heart. Well, here it is. On your heart and in my heart, it's either going to be self on the throne or God on the throne. For Nebuchadnezzar, pride had set him on the throne. Let's talk about pride. In his book, Pride to Humility, Stuart Scott defines pride as this. It's the mindset of what? Self. A focus on self, the service of self, the pursuit of self, uh, the recognition and self-exaltation, a desire to control and all things for self. Pride says what? Self is sovereign. Pride says self sits on the throne. That's what pride does. Pride puts you and I on the throne that was meant for God. But when it comes to pride, the question isn't, do I have it? The question is, how much pride do I have and where is it? And that's true for me as much as it's true for you, and it was true for Nebuchadnezzar. And in Nebuchadnezzar's life, if we were to go back from chapter 1 and look forward to where we are in the text today, I want to show you how pride was manifest in his life. 
You can see where the passage is on the left and then that manifestation of pride. And then on the right is the biblical correction. Whenever you and I are confronted with a sin, we always want to go to the Word of God to get the correct correction for our sin. So Nebuchadnezzar's manifestation of pride showed itself and control. He had control issues. He lacked compassion. He used people. He had unmet expectations. I'm sorry, anger from unmet expectations, an inflated view of self. He was easily irritable. He wouldn't admit wrong and he elevates self. Spouses, don't elbow. Save that for later. And as we look at this, maybe someone is immediately coming to mind, and, and that's well and good, but first, examine yourself in light of this. These are not the manifestations of pride. These are some of the manifestations of pride, the ones that showed themselves in Nebuchadnezzar's life. Nebuchadnezzar believed he was on the throne. You see, the king could issue his decrees, but the decree from the throne of heaven is what ultimately ruled the events on earth. It was true then, and it's still true today. King David wrote about it. King David wrote this up on the screen in the Psalms. He says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules what? Overall. That means that the, the throne in heaven, the kingdom of God, is ruling over all the kingdoms on the earth. And no matter how powerful and how great Nebuchadnezzar believed he and his kingdom was, it was overshadowed by the greater kingdom, the kingdom of God. True then, still true today. Now, pride will always seek to place you and I on the throne. In every person... Pride sets itself up as the little g God that believes we're in control. That's what pride does. In every person, myself included, the little g God of pride must be dealt with. And we serve a gracious God, he interrupts us. He's willing to do whatever it takes. Look with me on the screen, Psalm 119. There's a great quote too. But let's go Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verse 71 says, My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. You see, God even interrupted King David, and King David was wise enough to understand that God's interruption of his life was not to make his life miserable, but it was because God was looking to get his attention. So whatever you're walking through today, whatever you're going through today, give consideration that God might be looking to get your attention attention, and that we would say, Lord, speak, your servant is listening. Read with me verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries, 
The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, nesting places for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Verse 23, your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation Your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord, the King. You will be driven away from people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is what? Sovereign. What does that mean again? That God is in absolute control and has complete authority to do anything he pleases until you acknowledge, Nebuchadnezzar, that you do not belong on the throne, but rather that God does. Whatever it takes. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. So our second truth this morning is when our pride is confronted with the sovereignty of God, we understand that he allows confrontation in our life to call us to repentance. And that's exactly what he is doing here with Daniel. But notice the tact that Daniel has, right? He says, oh, king, if only what I'm about to tell you applied to your enemies. It's going to simply butter up a little bit. But then he gets right to it. Daniel shares the truth in love. And he says, King, here's what's going to happen. Just as you have issued decrees against God Most High, now he's issued a decree against you. You're going to be dethroned. You will be displaced. You're going to live with wild animals. As a matter of fact, O King, you're going to think you're a wild animal and act like one. It's called boanthropy. You'll have no shelter for your body. And here's the thing, King, seven times will pass you by. Now, what does that mean? Well, some believe that that seven years are going to go by, that Nebuchadnezzar is going to live like this for seven years. Other Bible commentators believe that that phrase means as long as it takes. Whatever the case may be, whether it's seven years or it takes seven years, God is looking to get our attention. As long as it takes for you and I in our lives personally to acknowledge the throne of our heart belongs to the King of Kings. As long as it takes. As we look back at Nebuchadnezzar's condition, remember back in verse 4, he was content and he was prosperous. One could say he had everything he desired 
He'd earned everything he'd worked for, right? He had tenure. He had job security. He had a great salary, a wonderful benefits package. His retirement portfolio was set. His house was paid off. Plus, he had the vacation house. The boat is at the marina. He's got it all. He had what I believe many Christians pray for, a comfortable life. See, but that brings us back then to the throne. Who's on the throne? And the question we're faced with, well, when self is on the throne, then we live with this belief. The end of all being is for my happiness. And everything that happens and everything that goes on is for my happiness and my good. But that's not biblical living. Because when God is on the throne, the believer then says, the end of all being is not the happiness of self. The end of all being is the glory of God. Whatever it takes. That God would be glorified in your life and in my life. That God would be glorified in our marriages and in our parenting. That God would be glorified in his church. That whatever it takes, God would be glorified because he is on the throne of our lives. And he is sovereign and in control of all things and has absolute power and authority to do as he pleases. That is our God. Amen. So he sends Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, this man of courageous character, to confront the king and his sin. And what does Daniel say? King Nebuchadnezzar, accept my advice. Confess your sins and repent. Well, that requires humility for someone to do that. And pride and humility go together like oil and water. But it's necessary. So he confronts him so that the king would repent. You know, God, God did that with King David, right? He sent the prophet Nathan and said, King David, you have to repent of your sins with Bathsheba. Jesus confronted a group of religious leaders. If you know, remember the story, uh, there, were, there was this group of religious leaders and they had just caught a woman who was caught in adultery. They held stones in their hands and they were getting ready to stone this woman. And what did Jesus say? You who is without sin, do what? Cast the first stone. One by one, they dropped their stones and walked away. He confronted them. Then he goes to the woman who was caught in adultery. And he says, go and leave your life of sin and sin no more. You and I are confronted with the pride in our own life, with the sin in our own life. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, up on the screen, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world... Love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. For the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives for how long? Forever. Let's leave this verse up for a second and let's look at the throne. When self is on the throne, 
Self will pursue the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Scripture tells us that the result of those pursuits are what? They're going to pass. It's vanity. It will amount to what? Nothing. But he who does the will of God, what? Lives forever. So self has to come off the throne. God must go back on the throne. So what does this look like in your life and in my life? Well, let's take a look. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You and I are going to be tempted with these three forms of pride every day of our lives. The lust of the flesh is the pride of position. When we're on the throne of our life, we are going to be tempted to have the pride of position. The pride of position looks like this. That person says, I am. I am great. I am wealthy. I am powerful. The lust of the eyes is the pride of possession. Finish the sentence. I see it and I want it. We've all been there. I was on Amazon last night. (laughs) I see it and I want it. That is the pride of possession. Last but not least is the pride of life, the pride of power the pride of life, and it says, I can. Because I am in this position, because I have these possessions, I have these resources, I can exert my power, and I can. Friends, this is what it looks like Whoops, when self is on the throne of your heart. Every one of us, myself included, will be confronted, tempted, I should say, with these three forms of pride. Why? Because these are the three forms of pride that Satan tempts us with. He tempted Adam and Eve with them. He tempted the prophets with them. He tempted Jesus when he was in the wilderness for 40 days with them. He attempted the apostles with them, and he attempts you and I to these three forms of pride every day. Why? Because it's all about who's on the throne. Satan's goal in your life and in my life is to keep self on the throne and keep God off. But we're confronted. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1, Verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. This is the character of God. Even though we have sought to dethrone him, look at the character of God. He is faithful and just and he's going to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So when we look at this and we look at self on the, uh, on the throne here, And we say, well, what does this mean? What does 1 John look like? Well, first thing we need to do is to repent. What is repentance? Repentance is simply this. Repentance is, I'm sorry, first thing we need to do is confess. Forgive me. Confessing is simply this. It's, it's, It's acknowledging that we are wrongfully on the throne. That's what sin is. Sin is putting yourself 
on the throne that was meant for God. First thing you and I need to do is we need to humble ourselves and confess that we've done that. Every person has done that. I've done that. Second thing we need to do, and Daniel shares that with us, shares it with Nebuchadnezzar, renounce your sins. What that means, repentance. Look with me up on the screen what Scripture says about repentance comes from Acts. Not that one. We're going to do Acts 3.19. It says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So if confession is acknowledging that we are wrongfully on the throne, then repentance is taking action. It's getting up off the throne. I'm, I'm repenting. I'm turning away from my sins and I'm turning towards God. Repentance is us getting off so that God can get back on where he rightfully belongs. He confronts us. So I just want to ask you, is God confronting you with anything today? Is there anything that you have to confess and repent of? He allows confrontation to call us to repentance, but let's be honest, sometimes we need a little more help understanding what God is trying to speak to us. Nebuchadnezzar certainly did. Read with me what happens next. Verse 28. All of this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, so from the time Daniel confronts him, how much time goes by? Twelve months, a whole year. God is patient. God is merciful. Twelve months go by, and as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as a royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Who would you say is still on the throne of Nebuchadnezzar's heart? Self is still on the throne. Listen to this. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. You will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times, as long as it takes, will pass you by until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign. What does that mean? God is in complete control and has full authority to do anything he pleases. Verse 33, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from the people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. That leads us to our third truth this morning. In God's sovereignty, he allows humiliation for our spiritual education. He'll allow us to be humiliated not for our embarrassment, but for our education of who he is and who we're not. Remember all the way back in Daniel chapter 1? What did Nebuchadnezzar do to Daniel and those three Hebrew friends of his, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? He sent them to a three-year re-education program so that they would unlearn how to be Hebrews and learn how to be Babylonians. You know what's funny? The Bible tells us in Galatians, God will not be mocked. 
Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So what is God doing with Nebuchadnezzar? Sending him to a re-education program. Nebuchadnezzar, I got news for you. You're not God. So God allows humiliation. So the question is then, what's the difference between humiliation and humility? Simple. Humiliation is what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Humiliation is the forced dethroning of self. Humility is the voluntary dethroning of self. Whatever it takes, God will be on the throne. He will not share his glory with another. He's giving us time. He gave Nebuchadnezzar from the time he was confronted to the time that his judgment was, was passed, how long? A year, 12 months. And, and I have to wonder if Nebuchadnezzar every day, he got up and he thought, just one more day. I'll stay on the throne of my life one more day. And then the next day, what? Just one, tomorrow. I'll confess and repent when? Tomorrow. Just one more day. As I was studying this, I began to think, if Nebuchadnezzar had known there would be no more tomorrows, would that have changed anything today? Would it change anything for you? Does it change anything for me? You see, the Bible tells us what we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We have when? Today. So we're confronted. We have a choice. Today, we have the, the choice of voluntarily humbling ourselves and getting off the throne of our lives and inviting back God back on. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 2.12, The Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty. For all that is exalted, they will be humbled. God's giving you and I time. Time to confess. Time to repent. God's giving us time to get off the throne so that He can get on. That takes humility. In his same book, Pride to Humility, Stuart Scott defines humility as this. It is the mindset of Christ. It is a focus on God and others, a pursuit of the recognition and exaltation of God, and a desire to glorify and please Him in all things and by all things that He has given. So what's your decision today? Read with me Nebuchadnezzar's, verse 34. At the end of that time... I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. 
Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples on the earth are regarded as nothing, for he does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples on earth. And no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors, my nobles, they sought me out. And I was restored to my throne. I became greater than before. But now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt not myself, but I glorify who? The king of heaven. What happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He got off the throne. Self is off the throne in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. God is on it because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Listen to, these are the last words we'll ever hear from Nebuchadnezzar. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar is off the screen of history. Those are his final words. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Humility is so rare because it is so unnatural. It it flows out of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, what we learned this morning is that it begins with confession. Remember what confession is? Confession says, I am on the throne, and I confess that's wrong. It flows then into repentance. Repentance says, I'm getting off the throne, and I'm giving it back to God. But reconciliation, that's the final. That's what God does. God says, now that I'm back on the throne, I'm not banishing you. I'm not angry with you. I'm not mad at you. No, I want to be reconciled with you. I'm inviting you back into the throne room. I'm inviting you back. You who were lost are now found to have a right relationship with the King of Heaven as it was always meant to be. That we would have our right place with God on the throne of our hearts and us in full submission and surrender to his kingship and his lordship. You and I are confronted with that every day. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The deal is, is that some of us know that we need to get right with God, but we're still living with that I'll do it tomorrow. That's a a hardening of your heart. And when our hearts harden, What are we doing? We are deafening our soul's ability to hear the voice of God. For some of us this morning, God's trying to get our attention. The free will of man will always meet the sovereignty of God at the person of Jesus Christ. What's your decision? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign, that you are high and lifted up, exalted, that you are on the throne of heaven and you desire to be on the throne of our hearts. 
that we, like Nebuchadnezzar, would worship the King of heaven with every head bowed and every eye closed. What's your decision? If this morning you hear the voice of God speaking to you, saying it's time to get off the throne, it's time to confess, confess you're a sinner, it's time to repent, it's time to be reconciled with Jesus Christ who forgives us, separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? Saying today, amen, amen. Yes, yes, I'm giving my life to Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. The balcony, yes. Lord, we thank you for one more opportunity to enter into that relationship with you. You're merciful. You're graceful. You're forgiving. We love you, Jesus. Help us to live with humility. Help us to be mindful of who you are and who we're not. We count it an awesome privilege today to serve you, the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Would you stand and worship Jesus? Church, let's sing together. There's no one else for me. Give the Lord Jesus a hand, that he would have our praise. Amen. 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 Church, as we go from here, remember the throne. Who's the throne belong to? God. The throne of our hearts. Go humbly 
go in the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as you go from here, if you signed up for pizza with a pastor, remember that is immediately following the service upstairs. If you're new to the church and have questions or want to get connected, go to the center ring and, and we'll be there to assist you. Last but not least, we thank you for your generous tithes and offerings as they go to further the mission of God here and everywhere to the ends of the earth. Guys, we love you. We're praying for you. And keep following Jesus. We'll see you next week.